From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is Next Round, a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we move forward as a drinks business during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Benny Ashburn and Theo Hunter, co-founders of Crowns and Hops. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. So let's start with, I think, always the place I love to start these conversations, which is how did the two of you first kind of get into beer? Um, you know, was there a, were there any particular beers that stand out as, as being influential or, or experiences? Or, you know, how did you come to, to the beer world? Um, well, I guess I'll start with that, given that I'm probably the, the catalyst for that. And first and foremost, uh, thank you for, for even having us um, in this conversation. I think anytime we have an opportunity to talk about, you know, um, our platform, um, the, the movement that um, that we're a part of, and, and ultimately our business is, is great. So thank you for that. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it started for me personally. Um, I got into craft beer over a decade ago. I want to say probably about 12, 13 years ago. Um, and it was primarily, a, um, you know, j- just I think with a lot of individuals, um, primarily in the entertainment industry, we're, we're, we're consuming at the time, you know, and a lot of people, you know, here in LA are not from LA. Um, so one of the things that was just pretty common was people seeking out local beer. And I just wasn't aware of that concept. Um, so once it was introduced to me, um, I just kind of got bit by the bug. Um, I would say the, the first beer that really, um, you know, changed things for me, for me was Pliny the Elder. Um, oh, yeah. like most people <laughs> here um, in California. Um, but, you know, fast forward about, you know, five, six years after that, um, you know, I met Benny and um, Benny and I, um, you know, I think started to realize that there was just, you know, just a lack of diversity and culture in craft beer. Um, because I think, you know, at the time we were dating, um, we would visit, you know, a few, you know, local places and just, you know, often just saw that we were the only people of color um, and, you know, just being in the industries that we were in, I think that, that, that appeared to be a unique opportunity for us to say something. And and I'll let Benny kind of chime in and talk about her experience at that time. Yeah. I think uh, when me and Tio first met, uh, again, the funny joke is we met on Tinder. So we always say (laughs) we're the most successful slash unsuccessful Tinder couple of all time. I wasn't that familiar with, with, with craft beer. You know, I'm, I, like most people of color, black people, I knew beer from the Heineken and the Coronas and the malt liquors, et cetera. But Tio really introduced me to the world of craft beer. And for me, the excitement about it was more of the, the culture and the community aspect of it. You know, he brought me to the Stone facility and I didn't even know that something like that could possibly exist where you can have, you know, families hanging out, playing games, while also drinking this wide variety of different styles of beer. And I think that's what I fell in love with, which is um, made it really easy for us to partner to help identify how do we create a lot of these same safe spaces and culture for Black people, for brown people. How do we do that? And that's really how we started by curating experiences and content that truly opened up you know, expanded the palette, you know, preserved the culture for for people in the craft beer space. Um, and that's what we've continued to do all the way up until till today. Awesome. So so on that topic of, of sort of creating space and and of cre- uh, protecting the culture, I suppose, you know, did you find when you were getting into craft beer and as you've continued down this path of trying to uh, create these spaces, is the was the lack or is the lack of diversity something that is is it 
it's a tough question to ask, I suppose, but is it about is the idea that there needs to be spaces that are that are more more uh, inviting to people of color, or is it more just that like breweries need to be inviting to everyone? I think it's a little bit of of both, right? I think it's the lack of ownership. It's the lack of overall consumers that you see physically inside of, of breweries. And then it's just the lack of overall understanding of what craft beer actually is. Um, and I think that's kind of where it starts. And and it's it, we don't think it's been personally people absolutely excluding black and brown people from craft beer space. It's just if you, you don't know what you don't know. And if you, you know, a lot of breweries you'll see are in a lot of areas and communities of color. So if you walk by a brewery and you don't see anybody in there that looks like you, oftentimes you're not going to go inside. You're not going to feel comfortable. You're not going to want to be a part of it. And that's what we need to change. And that's kind of how we're moving forward. Um, and that's where we, how we really led into our Eight, eight Trills initiative and dealing with racial equity. But I'll let Tio explain more about that. Sure. And and one of the things that I think is unique about both Benny and I is, is we really approach it from two different perspectives. You know, I kind of came in from, you know, the uh, craft beer connoisseur position, um, a, a black man appreciating craft beer and befriending and, and really, you know, working to build trust, you know, with a lot of the craft breweries in my community. You know, Benny really approached it from, you know, kind of just being brand new and and not knowing anything outside of what she was experiencing for the first time, not only through her lens, but through seeing me negotiate space. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously you, you can only solve a problem or an issue if you recognize it. And that's probably been up until this point, the biggest hurdle is people did not recognize it as an issue or a problem. Rather, they would um, and continue to snowball it into something that's political or something that is taboo to discuss or to talk about. And if, if you keep um, a, a problem or a dilemma in that taboo space uh, to where you can't even have an opportunity to have a discussion or explore it, then it's impossible to solve it. Absolutely. You know, there's no way to solve that. So I think what Benny and I always try to do is to create a space to not only talk about it, um, but as most like, you know, as most times at any craft beer bar, um, the likelihood is when people start talking about things, it ultimately will come down to um, one of two things. How are you doing? How's your family doing? How's your kids doing? And 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 I think that's where we really leaned into the concept of, of our racial equity initiative, Atro Pills. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, I know you. I know you're giving away giving away money for uh, Black people in the beer industry, but maybe you can give a little more uh, detail. Sure. Um, the concept came from a report that we read that was written by the Kellogg Foundation on a business case for racial equity, and it was one of the first times that we saw as entrepreneurs um, an actual case study that was created that showed the benefit of accomplishing racial equity. And, and ultimately what, you know, the report identified is that most of the lack of diversity and inclusion is a result of systemic racism. And if we start to diminish that, and if we start to focus on diminishing the areas that 
eliminate the opportunity for someone to be productive. So if housing, if education, if criminal justice, if um, entrepreneurship and employment are all uh, domains that there tends to be disparities for people of color, then there's probably going to be a lack of productivity. So um, our goal was to really try and impact that as much as we could as entrepreneurs and shed a light on that so that people understood that accomplishing racial equity isn't a zero-sum game, but rather um, as an industry and as a community, we get stronger um, for ensuring that these disparities are, um, don't exist in those domains. So um, we created uh, the Eight Trill Pills Fund, which was a figure um, that they called out uh, based on if we focus on racial equity today, our country stands to see a GDP impact of $8 trillion dollars. And, you know, that, that that clearly is something where we all win. Um, and uh, we uh, kicked that off with um, an eight trill pills um, initiative. I'm sorry, an eight trill pills beer um, an eight trill pills fund that is supported by BrewDog. Um, and I'll let Benny kind of get into some of the details of that relationship. Yes. Yeah, so um, the eight trill pills and then going into the fund and. Uh, BrewDog. So um, two years ago, we were recipients of BrewDog's uh, development fund. So um, they have been really supportive of um, us and sort of everything that we've been doing, which has been great, you know, even before Black Lives Matter, you know, so to speak. So as part of AAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAA
um, the, 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 the beer itself. Um, and also when you first got um, exposed to the concept of brewing, you know, traditionally it comes or people are exposed to it in college. You know, they're exposed to it because a family member did it as well. Um, if, if it's intrinsic in that community for information and our exposure to happen on that, then you have to look at why there wouldn't be that type of exposure in the first place. And, and, and that's where we ask for people to, to investigate. You know, um, I think one of the things that we also have to consider is we, are, we weren't the first person or the first black owned brewery. We weren't the first black brewers or, or the, you know, there, there's been amazing individuals in a space to include home brewers that we probably have never heard of. Um, I think what we, we, we then challenge people, especially the incumbent industry to explore is again, what was the paradigm that allowed for someone to not only pick up that, that, that passion or pick up that, um, um, th- those skill sets, but also to develop it, to grow it, to have the audacity to say, I'm going to try this out. And if it doesn't work, I'm not going to lose it all. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might, um, you know, project that they had that amount of risk, um, involved. Um, but, but ultimately there are a lot of brewery owners that I know of that, you know, had homes, you know, that, that had a mortgage paid for that, um, you know, inherited capital or whatever the case might be. Not that's not that that's every situation, but it's more often than not. Um, and, and I think one of the things that we ultimately tried to do with our initial, um, entry into the industry was to provide a level of exposure because ultimately once you get exposed to something, you, you investigate it yourself. And that's what wasn't happening, Zach. There was a lack of exposure, a lack of opportunity, a lack of opportunities to gather and, and celebrate something that ultimately you can make at home. I want to shift gears a little bit and just ask about something else that that feels very topical right now, although obviously has a long history, not just in beer, but um, I don't know, America. And that's this idea of cultural appropriation, especially in beer. And I... I would just love to to hear from the two of you your thoughts. I don't even necessarily have a question other than just kind of, you know, an observation that um you see, I've seen plenty of examples of whether it's uh of black culture being appropriated in, you know, white spaces in in beer and I I I just would be curious to know your each of your thoughts. Yes. So uh there's been a lot of that um that's happened over the years, particularly in in, in craft beer. Um, knowing that a lot of these cans are limited edition and they're kind of one hits, the amount of culture, misappropriation of culture that's used to sell beer quickly happens quite often. Um, a more recent example is Evans Brewing's Brewery, excuse me, Evans Brewery put out a beer called uh, WAP. What did, what did it stand for, T? Uh, what as Pilsner? What as Pilsner? Yeah, that's right. Right. And used pretty much Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's likeness completely no they use, um, they use it exactly they use it exactly let, let me be very clear they use it exactly and you know with no regard for the the culture of what that actually represents uh to the community they've not said or done anything as it relates to even discussing or mentioning all of the issues that are literally going on right now in this country but yet they took something super specific, something very personal and popular in the Black community and used it to sell beer. I mean, and that happens 
pretty much all the time. And I'm sure Tio has more to say to that. Yeah, I, I think, and, and this is where the problem lies. Um, uh, the, the argument that we've heard and that we've seen to include from Evans Brewing was that it's an ode or a parody or, um, you know, you know, in some way, you know, to poke fun, um, which which we get. You know, we're not without a sense of humor. You, you know, we understand, you know, that people have a love or appreciation for something. Um, in this particular case, they took the exact acronym. They took faces of black and brown women um, that don't appear anywhere, um, you know, within a way they project uh, their their community and their um, their current company. Um, to, to us, you know, and again, if you just look at the, you know, the, the, the sheer definition um, of cultural appropriation, it essentially is using someone else's culture and identity uh, for benefit um, by a dominant culture. Um, and if you look at that from a craft beer lens, this is exactly that. Um, you know, the, the reality is no one would have heard of that beer if it wasn't for um, them using that acronym, regardless if they shifted it um, or if they use their image. Um, it's, 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 it's really unfortunate, um, you know, that, you know, you have to, uh, argue, um, against, I think an industry that could clearly understands what it means to protect your IP, what it means to protect an idea. Um, and for someone to not understand the difference between leveraging someone's culture, especially a culture that, um, does not have, the significance again, one percent of all, less than one percent of all breweries in the country um, are black-owned. So, where are the checks and balances going to come from if it's not going to come from um, the industry internally? And you know, unfortunately, you know, Benny and I, um, there may be a few other influencers, craft beer influencers, that have dedicated ourselves, regardless of the impact, to drawing awareness to this uh, because you know, I, I think it. Um, it, it it ultimately is theft, and um, you know it, it's even more so when we're in a climate that we are in today, to where people now have a clear understanding of what systemic racism is and the impact of it. Um, so to to culturally appropriate it, especially in this era, is is just um, completely ridiculous. And I, you mentioned the the current climate, Tio, and so I wanted to ask about that as well. You know, do you get the sense that Maybe setting aside the last example, because obviously that is a a uh, one side of it. But but has the has the conversation or has the um, discussion about a lack of, especially black ownership in the craft beer space, become I don't know easier, but at least maybe more digestible for for people, particularly white people, um, since uh, you know, the, the sort of re uh, emergence of the black lives matter movement and a lot of conversations happening in, in spaces all over the country and in all kinds of different industries has, have you noticed a change or is it still, you know, is, is it still the same uphill battle? Um, yeah, no, I was going to, to Tia's point. Yes, we, we've absolutely noticed, but I think what's so crazy is the first step that everyone noticed is that there aren't any black consumers or brand consumers, even in your brewery. So, you know, we're moving into the space of ownership because that is where we need that. That's progressively how this evolves. But I think the first jarring um, thing that everyone identified was like, wow, we didn't even realize there weren't black people in our in our tap rooms or having our beer or any part of our consumer base. 
Um, and that's kind of where it started. And now we're evolving into creating more space where ownership is an, is an option. And I'll let Tio chime in from there. Yeah. To your point, um, you know, you know, I think, um, what it exposed the most specifically in craft beer is that, um, you know, just saying that you weren't a racist isn't enough as it relates to doing the work that's needed to dismantle white supremacy and racism. Um, I think many breweries um, started to understand that they were essentially creating havens for, for racist activity and rhetoric and thought. And, um, you know, I think if you look, you know, at the, the, the pillars in craft beer, um, you know, being community, you know, being selfless, you know, being, you know, supporting of small business and entrepreneurs and mom and pops. And that there's, there's nothing, it all is centered around protecting and creating safe spaces for the community. If you, again, as a business owner, do not, um, take actions to be anti-racist and you are essentially creating a space for people that experience racism to not feel safe. And I think that's probably one of the, the biggest um, things that I think the industry has finally started to understand. In addition to understanding that um, wearing a black people love beer shirt, isn't a sign of racism. It's a, (laughs) it's a sign of showing, um, you know, uh, that a conversation needed to be had um, and also a sign of saying, like, look, I'm I'm open to having a conversation um, about why you might be experiencing a lack of diversity and our thoughts on how we can solve it. You know, and, and Benny and I have been pretty consistent about that, you know, for the past six years. Um, so I think, if anything, it truly amplified um, what we had been doing the entire time and why we were doing it. And why um, it was it was really for the benefit of everyone, you know, I mean, because at the end of the day, we all win if there's more craft beer, beer drinkers. Right. Zach? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I wanted to ask on that on that note as well. Um, you know, I think it's important to note uh, what you said about, you know, that that creating spaces that are that are actively you know, not just that are actively anti-racist as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, whatever we just, it's, we're, we're, we're a brewery. We don't think about those kinds of things is, mm-hmm. is important and, and something for, for listeners to note for sure. But I am wondering too, you know, um, besides the kinds of, and, and obviously it's a bigger conversation or, or a longer answer probably than we, we can get into in all detail here, but, but besides, you know, things that I think are, I would, assume are meaningful but i but i don't want to assume too much that you know whether it's signage or or um the pr- a presence on social media things like that that may may indicate you know a, an avowed anti-racist stance are there other things that that breweries can do what what are some ways that they can be more inclusive um maybe you know maybe the op, you know especially if they are um you know if they're uh, not aware so far uh, uh, in the ways that they haven't been inclusive? Um, I think one, um, we don't ask that anybody pander. Um, we're, we're not looking for people to all of a sudden adopt a culture and, or become something that they are not intrinsically. I mean, that that's ridiculous. Um, what we are asking for people is to, to, to not treat this like it's something political and to treat this as something that we can't discuss and can't have a conversation about. Um, it's exactly why we created the Atrial Pills Initiative um, to give individuals, um, to give industry leaders, um, industry professionals, everything down from 
a CPA to a law firm to a brewery that just wants to help an opportunity to help people that are interested in um, creating these spaces and, and growing this community an opportunity to contribute in any way that they can. It doesn't always have to be monetary. It doesn't always have to be, um, you know, uh, you know, time. It, it could be mentorship. It could be, um, you know, offering the services or paying for some services um, so that someone can have their books looked at, whatever the case might be. I think it's a matter of understanding that there is a disparity in resources and what we can do in terms of doing um, uh, filling that gap um, with regards to what a brewery can do specifically. Um, you know, again, I think messaging says a lot, you know, especially if you are in a black and brown community. And I think Benny can probably speak to a few of the strategies as it would relate to making sure that your, you know, when you showcase community, that you're actually showcasing the community that you're in versus just a community that's in your living room. Yeah, I think um, a lot of it comes from, you know, just having employees and people that look like the community physically working inside of the space. Um, it, it really does change how the consumer interacts with the business. Um, relate, you know, just having any kind of relatability inside the space really changes the um, the tone of the overall business. I mean, and that's really just the first place to start. Let's get more people in the door that look like the people that you physically want inside of the space. Um, in terms of marketing and promotions, a lot of these breweries, you know, everyone's now sort of leaning towards social media just to 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 talk to consumers. If you're only promoting consumers that look one way, how are you expected anybody else to care or get involved or want to support your brand because they won't feel like you're supporting them? And those are just some some very basic ways to to change the conversation uh, and change how you're seen in the space. But, you know, as small as those are, a lot of people aren't even acknowledging or identifying like that's the step one. That's how you move forward, how you can move forward. In the digital space, I guess the best way to say um, to any brewery or anyone, change your algorithm. Yeah. And stop and just stop creating a situation to where you're only looking at the things that only serve you and look like you and sound like you. Mm -hmm. You know, when you change that algorithm and when you and when you um, consider something um, that's bigger than just you, that's community. You know, and, um, you know, I think that's what we would ask for breweries in this community to do. Gotcha. Let's let's talk a little bit more about what you all are doing right now. Besides, uh, not that the these um, efforts are not obviously hugely important, but but I, I my understanding is you know besides the atrial pills, you make some beer. Um, what is the what is the status of that, and 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 how is it going in this um, very strange year of twenty twenty? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely strange. Um, but I think Benny and I really. Um, you know, focused on creating a plan of um, essentially contracting um, because what we realized is that, you know, th there was nothing on shelf that really represented um, who we were and who we are as a community. So we wanted to deliver on the promise of making sure, um, you know, that the black community, that people that love hip hop, that people that love culture had a product that they could um, to support, you know, that, that, you know, has alignment with the founders. Um, so, you know, we, we've uh, been able to really get some exciting recipes um, throughout California, um, some parts of Oregon as well. 
Um, we're in about you know 400 retail locations right now um, that can be um, found through our store locator, our beer locator on our site um, that you can access on on your phone as well. Um, but but the goal has really been just to um, work with our team and put out some incredible recipes this month coming up. Um, we have um, four flagship beers, um, a stout uh, called Urban Anomaly, um, a IPA, which is already out now, called Elevated Cypher. Go out and get it. Um, a, a Pilsner um, that we have called Beat Messenger, and we are going to make BPLB, which is our hazy IPA, um, one of our flagships as well. So um, they'll be on shelves all together for the first time at the beginning of November. Um, so we're excited about uh, people getting these um, the, these these recipes as we continue on the path of of um, working towards our brick and mortar. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the two of you taking the time. Um, super um, interesting and and insightful and and meaningful conversation. And you know, um, I, I certainly encourage people if you're curious to to learn more to. Um, to check out, we've got some other content on Vine Pair uh, that we have written about uh, crowns and hops. And you guys actually made one of the coolest illustrations of us, which, uh-huh. was, which is pretty cool. It, yeah, it's like I, I think we'll probably blow that up in a brewery at some point. <laughs> Absolutely, you should, put, you should put it on a can. Uh, and, and I, I, I don't know that I can sign away. Uh, you, the said art. you said it. You said it. You said it. Sorry, it's not theft because Zach said it. <laughs> yep. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I, like I said, really appreciate your, your time and insight and uh, look forward to uh, revisiting some of these topics down the road, hopefully as the craft beer industry has um, progressed and evolved. Absolutely. Vote early, everybody. I think this comes out still. It does. Yeah. Early. And especially, I think if any, if you don't mind me saying, um, make sure you're reaching out to your grandparents, your great aunts and uncles and, people that can't and help them as well. Um, you know, that this is definitely a time to where we need to make sure that everybody's voices, regardless of what they believe is heard and that they just don't assume that it happens um, automatically. So we're excited about um, motivating people to do that. Um, and Benny, any last words? So in addition to that, just if people are able to mail in their vote, just know there are uh, very specific mailboxes that are safe and are guaranteeing your vote will make it. <laughs> Uh, and be counted. So please consider that as, as well if you are not able to get to the polls. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, voting is is a, a fundamental part of living in a democracy. And if we don't all do it, it democracy stops happening. So here, here. Uh, thank you both so much and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Likewise, Zach. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, Please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.